I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, the two Georgia Senate runoffs between Republican David Perdue and Democrat John Ossoff and Republican Kelly Loeffler and Democrat Raphael Warnock are some of the most important in modern history. Because these two races will determine whether Republicans maintain the control of the Senate under a Biden administration and a Pelosi House, or whether the radical left will control both the legislative and executive branches, we should be very worried for the future if these two Senate races are lost to the Democrats. The Georgia Senate runoff election will take place on January 5th, 2021, with early voting already underway. Early voting began on Monday, December 14th. To give us insights as to what is happening on the ground in Georgia, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Brian Robinson, He's a Georgia Republican strategist and a regular contributor on the podcast called Political Breakfast on WABE, the local NPR station in Atlanta. We're going to talk about the Georgia Senate runoffs and about Georgia politics in general. And we're very lucky to have Brian Robinson, who is a longtime Georgia Republican strategist, and he has a very deep knowledge of politics in Georgia. So, Ryan, first of all, thank you for agreeing to come on and share your insights with our audience. I'm very glad to be here, Newt. And of course, being from Georgia, I have so many tangential connections to you from being friends with your daughter, Jackie, to having been on 
campaigns like the 2010 campaign for governor in Georgia, where your endorsement of my boss, Governor Bill, was a major lift to that campaign. And so I'm forever grateful for your help there. I remember that. That was an exciting time. And Nathan Deal turned out to be quite a governor, I think. Did a great He's job. Corrupt. Yeah. So tell us in general terms, how do you see the current Georgia situation? Georgia has been on this trajectory over the last decade toward political parity. Like other Southern states, the Republicans had a strong foothold here and built very big majorities. Early in the decade, we had super majorities in the Georgia General Assembly and a two to one advantage in our congressional district. And there were many Republicans in Georgia throughout the years, yourself included, who were the foot soldiers who really built that majority. But, you know, former Senator Al Gore Sr. of Tennessee, when he lost in the early 70s his Senate seat, he said, Democrats have done such a good job of raising Southerners out of poverty that we've turned them into Republicans. And I would flip that around and say that Georgia Republicans have done such a good job building a dynamic economy that has increased wealth creation, created new jobs in Georgia, that we have brought in so many people to the state in pursuit of our economy that we've turned the state Democrat. <laughs> and it's going to be competitive. But, you know, over the last three decades, Newt, of every three people who have moved here, two have been non-white. And so the electorate that elected Sonny Perdue, the current agriculture secretary, as governor in 2002, that electorate was over 75% white. The electorate on November 3rd of 2020 was 53% white. We're an extremely competitive state. In 2018, of course, Governor Kemp beat Stacey Abrams by 55,000 votes out of 4 million. And of course, Abrams became this national celebrity where it just almost obscene levels of glowing media coverage of her. I've never seen anything quite like it. But, you know, the Democrats registered hundreds of thousands of people. And we've had a million new voters registered since President Trump was elected in 2016. So it is a politically dynamic place where a lot of changes happening very fast here. I notice in particular that Atlanta's both gotten bigger and more Democrat. Yeah. Look at your old district, you know, East Cobb and North Fulton. I mean, this was the heart of Georgia Republicanism. This is where it began. Right. Dunwoody, Sandy Springs, Roswell, Alpharetta, Marietta. And those are all blue counties now. And the General Assembly members who are Republicans have been getting picked off one by one in recent election cycles. And you've really seen the national trend of suburban areas, particularly, you know, college educated white people trending to the Democrats. We've seen that happen here. There's no way to, to deny that that is going on. And Georgia has been able to maintain Republican control by really juicing rural turnout. That was key for Governor Kemp in 2018. It was key for President Trump in 2016. And Trump really did bring out new Republican voters in a way that we had never seen before. I mean, people who had never voted came out for him. And I think he was so close here because he brought out another level of new voters in 2020. What you're seeing in the suburbs, though, is concerning because that is where the growth is. You know, if you look at 
the areas outside of Atlanta, there's been almost no growth over the last 10 years. But Georgia has grown significantly, and it's all right here in the 28, 29 county metro Atlanta area, which is trending blue. And that is why Stacey Abrams was so competitive, and that is why Joe Biden fought to a tie here in Georgia. Explain just for the non-Georgians who will be listening to this, how does Georgia end up with runoffs, particularly in the case of Senator Perdue, actually ran about 1% ahead of Trump? Yeah, he did. And anywhere else in the country, for the most part, Senator Perdue would be reelected to the Senate by now. Georgia and the other southern states were once a one-party Democrat state. So we've had runoffs in Georgia going back to the early 1900s when the election rules were determined county by county and every election was determined in the Democratic primary. So the runoff rule kind of goes back to Democratic primary rules at the turn of the last century. And those rules became statewide in the mid-60s when the county unit system was thrown out. And we have had one hiccup, and you may remember this. In 1992, sitting U.S. Democratic Senator Weiss Fowler is taken on by State Senator Paul Coverdale, a Republican from Atlanta, and Weiss Fowler gets more votes in the general election, but below 50. And so it goes to a runoff, and Paul Coverdale, the Republican, beats Weiss Fowler and goes to the U.S. Senate. Well, the Democrats still control Georgia then. So they go, we're going to fix this. So they lowered the threshold down to 45%. If you got over 45%, you won. And it worked. In 1996, Max Cleland, a Democrat, ran for U.S. Senate for Sam Nunsi. Guy Milner, a Republican, ran against him. And Max Cleland won with 49% of the vote. So the Democrat scheme had worked. They got a Democrat elected to the U.S. Senate. And then the Republicans took over the state in 2002, 2003, and changed it back to 50. And ever since then, their plan has worked. In 2008, our Senate seat went to a runoff. Sitting Republican Senator Sykesby Chambliss was held below 50 and then got 58% in the runoff. So what change we have had has been for partisan advantage based on who was in power at the time. It strikes me, though, as somebody who sort of grew up with the Georgia Republican Party, my first active involvement was for the Nixon campaign in 1960 in Columbus, Georgia, Muskogee County, when I was a senior in high school. And there were no elected Republicans outside the mountains back then. It seems to me that historically, in those runoffs, we did very, very well. In fact, particularly in the Saxby Chambliss race, the margin was amazing in the runoff. But I get a sense that this year that's not the same thing, partly because you do have this new, much more intense Democratic Party, which is Stacey Abrams, I think, as a competitor, you have to take your hat off to her and say she's very determined. She's been very effective. So this is going to be much more of a brawl. And I don't think it's anywhere near as predictable as those earlier races where you could sort of say, well, the Republicans will turn back out, the Democrats won't, and the marginal widen. What's your sense now of the Georgia electorate? going into the January vote and of the state of the two senatorial races? Your assessment is dead on, Mr. Speaker. In 2008, in that Sykes-Beach race in the runoff, he won by 16 points, 58 to 42, just a wipeout election. 
Fast forward 10 years to 2018, we had numerous races go to runoff, including for Secretary of State. And of course, now everybody in the world knows who our Secretary of State is. He's become a household name in the country, maybe internationally. And that race, and we had a Public Service Commission race, which is also statewide, those were won by about four points. And so you can see how over time that margin has shrank in runoffs, just as it has shrank in general elections. So you can tell from the strategies being played out by both of these campaigns that all signs expect this to be very tight. I mean, I don't see any scenario where anyone wins by a margin of victory of you know, three points or four points. That would be absolutely shocking given the fundamentals in the state today. And you see Leffler and Purdue really running a turnout strategy election. And the messaging here is Raphael Warnock is a radical liberal socialist out of the mainstream views. John Ossoff is a pretender is the, is the phrase that I've heard, you know, somebody with no resume, no accomplishments. And of course, driving the overall message that Democrats are going to fundamentally change America if Georgia gives these two Senate seats to the Democrats. It gives Democrats complete control of Washington and Let's not forget, and I, I was talking to my old boss, Nathan Deal, about this last week. He was like, remember, Brian, the last time the Democrats controlled everything, that's how we got Obamacare. <laughs> so what is it going to be this time? Because it's going to be something big that not only conservatives, but middle America isn't going to like, from packing the court to opening the borders to Medicare for all, et cetera, et cetera. And so the Republicans have an advantage here, Mr. Speaker, in that we have a much more scary message than the Democrats do. You know, fear is a great motivator and Republicans are right to be concerned about what would happen if the Democrats controlled every lever of power. And on the flip side, what you're seeing the Democrats do, and I think this is very telling, as far as white Democratic voters, I think the Democrats feel like those votes are in the bank. They seem to think that white liberals are highly motivated to go vote and they are not being targeted in the advertising. Every Democrat ad you see is very specifically targeted at the African-American Democrat vote here. I mean, there's the testimonials from small business people, people who've had COVID, et cetera, and they're all black voters. So that demographic is being targeted heavily. And so Democrats obviously think that black voters aren't that energized and I think that may be true because look, what did the Democrat base want more than anything in the world? They wanted to get rid of Donald Trump. Like he was the big boogeyman, they hate him. And now they feel like, hey, we got what we wanted, we're good. So that's gonna be a major motivating problem for the Democrats. This is Gianno Caldwell. This week on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell, I talked to one of America's favorite doctors, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew has been a fixture in America's conversation around public health and wellness for a generation, particularly when it comes to addiction and addiction treatment. We cover all these topics, plus the good doctor thoughts on the rollout of a COVID vaccine and the aftermath of the presidential election. Listen to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell every Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I'm kind of intrigued because I think the commercials that the Democrats are running, which are basically from the ones I've seen, there's kind of touchy-feely. I'm really okay. I don't know why you'd call me a radical. There's one now I think of Warnick, I think, trying to put up Christmas lights or something. But in Warnick's case, at least, I just did Fox before coming here to the podcast. And they had another Warnick quote, this one describing people who voted for tax cuts as baby killers and King Herod. Herod is a cynical politician who's willing to kill children and kill the children's health program in order to preserve his own wealth and his own power. The United States Senate decided by a slim majority to pick the pockets of the poor, the sick, the old, and the yet unborn in order to line the pockets of the ultra-rich stuff that was very powerful in the pulpit. If you're an African-American Baptist preacher, a lot of this stuff is really powerful. But if you're then running for the U.S. Senate, with almost every other day, there's a new Warnick quote. And yeah. in that sense, it seems to me, he's more easy to define than Ossoff. Absolutely. And look no further than David Perdue, who is running against Ossoff. If you are on his email list, He's often attacking quotes from Warnock. He's attacking Warnock's record, even though he's not running against Warnock. He's trying to group them together. And Warnock has got the same issue, and that is there's thousands and thousands of hours of tape (laughs) of him saying 
of him saying things. And so anything can be used against you in the future. And Raphael Warnock is not a centrist. He is not an old Georgia Democrat. He is extremely liberal. He's never tried to hide it. And he has used the Ebenezer MLK Day ceremony, which should be a unifying event for the country where we remember this great Georgian Martin Luther King and celebrate the progress that we've made toward equal rights for all. And he is instead often use it to make it a democratic rally. And I can tell you from a personal example, in 2014, then Governor Deal gave a speech at the MLK Day and he talked about the criminal justice reforms, which years later, President Trump also really pushed to great acclaim and made a real significant difference. Deal was a trailblazer in Republican politics. And he got in front of the audience and he said, under my leadership, there are 20% fewer African-American men going into state prisons than there were five years ago. And he came out in favor of putting an MLK statue on the grounds of the state capitol. These are two really big things. And after that, Warnock got up and bashed Governor Deal for not expanding Medicaid. Okay, that's how partisan he is. That's how much he politicized that event that's supposed to be for all Americans. So he is not even pretending to be a centrist in his ads. He's very much going with what Biden was doing in their convention, which I was kind of confused by at the time. I remember thinking like the Republican convention was so much more substantive than the Democrat convention. We actually talked about issues. You know, we had called the party a no, but we were talking about stuff we had done and were going to do. And all the Democrats talked about was, hey, Joe Biden is such a nice guy. Look, he's nice to people on the train. He's great. And you're seeing a little bit of that strategy here. We don't want to talk too much about issues. We want to convince you that we're pretty nice people. And that has played out throughout weeks on TV here. I think if you had their issues, you wouldn't want to talk about issues either. No, I would want to be stringing Christmas lights, too. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So tell me this, to get into a, a more sensitive area for a minute, can you explain to non-Georgians what's going on with the Secretary of State and drop boxes and absentee ballots? I mean, it's so different from the Georgia that I used to represent in Congress. I've really been startled all fall watching the maneuvering and whatever, and it's very hard to tell what the truth is. A lot of this is new for us. It's not the Georgia that you know because it is different. There's a bit of history here. Traditionally, like five to seven percent of Georgians vote by mail. It has not been a heavily used tool by our voters. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, most people who voted absentee were older Republican voters. And so in in the mid 2000s, when we did an an election law reform, we did put in some photo ID requirements for in-person voting but those were not extended to absentee ballots. And there was a healthy discussion amongst Republicans who were in the state house then. Many Republicans didn't want to have photo ID for absentee ballots, but there was a sentiment among some in power that we don't want to put up any hurdles to our voters, to Republican voters. So it really was Republican law that started that. And today we had over a million people vote by mail this year, a significant portion of the electorate. And in this runoff, Mr. Speaker, we've already had over a million absentee ballot requests 
just yesterday, 50,000 absentee ballots came in to county election offices. So I don't know if this is going to be a long-term change in how Georgians choose to vote. And if it is, the Georgia General Assembly is going to have to make some reforms, make some changes, add some security features. And the Secretary of State has proposed some. The governor has proposed some. Legislative leaders have been coming up with ideas on how we can make it more secure in Georgia. We have 159 counties, and each county has its own elections system. And so there is a lot of local autonomy in how these decisions are made as far as like where drop boxes are and how many there are and that kind of thing. So it's a very decentralized system. It's much easier to like have a single focus for something and to blame the secretary of state or the governor or somebody else for it. But we have a system that is very locally controlled. So in that context, do you think there was a great deal of inappropriate voting, or do you think that's really exaggerated by partisans? What happened here, going back to 2018, you know, we had Stacey Abrams lose by 55,000 votes, and she made some claims that I think are insupportable about voter suppression. We had record turnout in 2018. We had record turnout again in 2020, and we've seen tremendous growth in our electorate and we have seen that non-white voters vote in the same percentage of the population as white voters do. There's no evidence to those Democrat claims of voter suppression. But one of the lasting impacts here in Georgia was those claims in 2018 made it okay to question the integrity of our elections. I don't subscribe to theories that the machines were changing the votes, you know, with some algorithm hack. The hand count backed up what the machine did. And so that would require absolutely every person whose vote was changed to not notice on their printed out ballot that their vote was changed. I just don't believe that. I think if there's fraud, and I think Secretary Raffensperger has said this, if there is some, it's people voting at old addresses when they left the county or they left the state. I mean, I think there's probably some of that out there. And maybe there's a lot out there. We don't really know. But the state's hands are tied. All states' hands are tied to some degree on cleaning up the rolls. You know, the Democrats call it voter purges, right? We've heard that phrase over and over again. That's not what it is. It is updating the rolls so that we know who you are and we know that you're alive and we know that you live where you are registered at. But the feds don't allow us to update it too quickly. You basically have to being an inactive voter for two cycles. And so you can move and stay on the rolls for years afterwards, literally. And until we're able to update the rolls in real time, there's always going to be that opening for fraud. And I can tell you, Georgia officials would love to see that loophole change, but we are relying on the federal government to do it. So I don't think that we've seen widespread fraud. Lieutenant Governor Duncan, Governor Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, Attorney General Chris Carr, these are all strong supporters of President Trump, very strong supporters. And it would be politically advantageous to them to repeat what the president is saying. The fact that they're not, that they are taking on the political peril, says that the people on the ground aren't seeing any evidence of widespread fraud.
I had two examples. The ambassador to Denmark, her husband had died, I think five years ago in Los Angeles, and she got his absentee ballot in Copenhagen this fall. <laughs> Los Angeles had still not taken him off the rolls. And back, I think it was in 93, we were working on a federal election law and in the House Administration Committee, we were trying to prove that the Democrats wouldn't purge the roles of dead people. And we finally offered an amendment that said, if somebody has been dead for 99 years, they should be taken off the rolls. And we still lost. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Student loan debt is only a crisis for the most privileged whiners in American society today. And on this week's Rob Smith is Problematic, I dig into the scam that is the student loan debt crisis. How whiny lefties need to take responsibility for the choices they've made, how elite institutions are robbing students blind, and how the rest of us shouldn't have to pay for other people's poor choices. Listen to Rob Smith is Problematic every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. If you had to guess, and I'm going to make you so you have to guess, what do you think will happen on Election Day? I think it's going to be a one to two point margin. And one thing that both sides seem to be planning on is that 
there's not going to be a lot of crossover voting. You know, people coming in and voting for Purdue and Warnock or for Leffler and Ossoff, et cetera, because both are running as tickets. So both of them are making the calculation that there's not going to be a high amount of crossover voting. And I think that's largely true, but there will be a handful of people who do it. And that handful could prove decisive. It was just a handful of people who didn't vote for Trump, but voted for Purdue. You know, Purdue got a higher percentage than President Trump. Our congressional Republicans got a higher percentage than President Trump. Our General Assembly Republicans got a higher percentage. It was just a handful of people, but in a tight race, it was decisive. That handful of people might decide if we get a split verdict, and I would never, ever take the bait to say which way I think it would split, but it's going to be super tight. And, you know, one thing that concerns me, Mr. Speaker, is I don't think Democrats are motivated. I don't think they're particularly energized. I think they're fat and happy and they're going to settle in for a long winter's nap. I think that's something that Republicans have going in their favor, but they are unified. Right. right. And one thing that concerns me here on the ground in Georgia is the ongoing fighting within the party. And it is vitriolic. And I'm in a bad spot. I mean, for goodness sake, I got friends on all sides of this. You know, these are my people. I've been partisans and in the bunker with all of these folks for nearly two decades. And to see the anger aimed at each other here is very concerning. And I would hate to see that depress our turnout. Obviously, I was so thankful to see your tweet when you came out against what Lynn Wood was saying, which was just madness. You want to explain what it was? Two of them had come out and said, we should punish Georgia if they don't get these reforms done before the election, we should not vote. And I just said, this is suicidal. Any Republican, and I've said this over and over again, any conservative who does not vote in Georgia for the runoff is giving Chuck Schumer control of the U.S. Senate, is guaranteeing two radicals for the next six years representing Georgia, and probably is guaranteeing that the District of Columbia gets two senators, that the Supreme Court gets packed, that gun control gets passed, the taxes get raised. I mean, it's just literally madness. And I think my tweet may have actually had an impact of some kind. And I've since been doing radio around the state and talking to people everywhere I can to say, you know, if you're a conservative, you have to vote in this particular runoff. It's the most important runoff in American history. These two seats will decide whether Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are running the city, or whether, in fact, with Mitch McConnell and the increased number of House Republicans picked up with Kevin McCarthy as leader, whether, in fact, we have a hugely moderating influence on what Biden can get away with. So I think this is enormous. And by the way, I was going to raise this because you see how important this is if you look at the total amount of money being spent in Georgia, which I think because you have two Senate races at the same time, it's a little hard to equate to other states. But I think this will be far and away the most expensive Senate races in history. And I'm curious, is there a saturation point where the next you know, thousand points on TV just doesn't matter because you now have so much stuff and so many mailings and so many phone calls and people get, I guess, vaccinated, to use the current word, against whatever the next message is. What's the impact of all of this money going to be in the state? I think I've seen that it's got up to about $400 million just in the runoff. 
in a state of a little under 11 million people. And we have reached the saturation point. I don't think the next thousand points is going to make a difference. Where the next thousand points makes a difference is my friends who are producing the ads and producing the mail pieces who are getting rich yeah. off of the runoff. And I could speak cynically about that because I'm not getting a cut of any of it. <laughs> I'm not at the trough on this one. But it is all about you know, ginning up this turnout. And of course, you got to think next week, there's going to be a little bit of a letdown in the spending going into Christmas and then maybe go back up, back down a little bit around New Year's and back up going into election day. I don't know that anyone is being persuaded at this juncture by what they're seeing on TV or in the mailbox. I literally just yesterday, I had four pieces of campaign mail. You know, is that a good return on investment? No. I mean, I am a political junkie. I read campaign mail because I kind of want to figure out what the strategy is. It tells me what their polling is showing as far as what's working and what's not. So I, I, I approach it from a professional lens. And even I just throw it in the trash now. I mean, it went straight into recycling when I got back to the house last night. So, yeah, I do think we've reached a saturation point. $400 million is a lot of money. And the, the fact is, we're not seeing any new messages. The messages I mentioned earlier about radical liberal socialists and giving Democrats complete control of Washington, that is the message. And it has been pounded into our heads. I don't think there's anybody in Georgia, even passive voters or non-voters, who don't know what the messaging is at this juncture. It's just now reminding people that early voting is ongoing. It started on Monday. And we had 160,000 Georgians show up on Monday to vote on the first day. 50,000 absentee ballots came in on Monday. When I was dropping my daughter off at school this morning in Buckhead, there was a line out the door at a Buckhead library waiting to early vote. So I do think the turnout strategy is working. You know, the first day of early voting, I mentioned it was over 160,000. That is 23% more than the first day of early voting in the general election. Wow. Because you don't tells you how mobilized people are and yeah. how much they're taking it to heart. Yeah, and this is really a big deal. Exactly. The turnout strategy is working. And wow. we have to assume there's going to be a drop off in the turnout. We had 5 million people vote in the general, a number we've never seen here before. But so far, the numbers are tracking for that kind of turnout. Between them, the candidates are spending $80 per voter. Yeah. How many Christmas presents people could buy if they would just, we just hand out $80 checks? I'm with you. I think we got in the wrong business. Listen, let me wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday. And I really appreciate you taking the time to help educate folks. George is obviously very fascinating to anybody in the country who is watching politics. And this is the most consequential runoff in American history. And I really appreciate you right here in the holiday season taking the time to chat with us. Well, Mr. Speaker, I've been a lifelong fan and I am incredibly grateful that you thought of me and had me on. And Merry Christmas to you and to all of the Gingrich family. Thank you to my guest, Brian Robinson. You can read more about the two Georgia Senate runoffs on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. 
Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penner. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.